Welcome to the One in One podcast, where a below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. My guest today is Taylor Williamson, who played for the University of Minnesota's women's hockey team from 2015 to 2019. Her career got off to a dream start, winning the national championship as a freshman in 2016, but then turned into a bit of a nightmare when she was diagnosed with an incurable autoimmune disease. Her comeback story is one for the ages. Taylor, it's an honor. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Love the Minnesota accent. We were talking a little off air. I've got a sister-in-law from Illinois. Says a few words a little differently. We always get on her, but it's all in good fun. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We, we take pride in it here. So happy, happy to be on and happy to be able to share my story with you guys. Absolutely. So you grew up in Adena, Minnesota. Is that anywhere near Minneapolis? Yep. So it's, it's um, actually pronounced Edina. Oh, so Edina, okay. Minnesota. Edina. And um, I'm super close to Minneapolis. So I'm about 15 minutes. Um, so obviously going to college at the U um, wasn't that far away from home for me. Um, I'm a big homebody. I love my family. Um, and just like I said before, just being a Minnesotan. So um, it was a true honor to be able to continue my hockey career and play for the Golden Gophers because it's really any Minnesotan's dream to be able to put the maroon and gold on at some point in their life. Yeah, and you come from a hockey family. Both your grandfather and your father played hockey at Minnesota. Your grandfather even coached for the United States hockey team in the Olympics in 1968 and 72, I believe. Yes, you're correct. And and his uh, 72 team, they actually won a silver medal. So um, my grandpa, Murray, he he really paved the way for us Williamson's um, when it came to the hockey, um, just the hockey culture. And I knew just from the the moment I had skates on my feet that I wanted to be a hockey player and and be just like my grandpa and my dad. Oh, that's amazing. Now, do you have any siblings, Taylor? I do. I have a younger brother, Hunter, um, and he also played hockey growing up. He currently is a senior or going to be a senior in college, so um, he doesn't play anymore, but he actually coaches with me. Um, he helps out in the summertime with my high school team. So, wow. again, he stays involved. The Williamsons, are, they're a family affair when it comes to um, hockey. Once you, when you get one of us, you end up getting all of us. I <laughs> love it. Now, how old were you when you officially started playing hockey? Um, so I was about six years old when I first started playing. Um, but I actually had skates on my feet, um, when I was about 12 months old. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so it started early. Um, my parents actually put me in figure skating first. So that's how I learned how to skate. Um, and then all of a sudden in Edina, they started a girls hockey program for the first time. Um, and it was actually for 10 year olds. Um, but I knew my dad had asked me if I wanted to start playing hockey and it was no question that I wanted to do it. So I was that little six year old out there with a bunch of 10 year olds. But, um, the second I, I put that Jersey on and hit the ice, I knew that this was a game that I loved and, um, you know, wanted to be really, really good at. Yeah. It sounds like you were skating before you were walking, but that is a part of hockey. It's like this two-step process where first you have to learn to skate and then you actually learn how to play. Two of my nephews are kind of in 
that hockey phase or one seven. So he went through the skating and now he's playing. And my other nephew's three. I think he's kind of still in the skating phase. I think with COVID, he probably hasn't even done it in over a year. So who knows how, how he's doing now. But it's an interesting sport in that case. Yeah, totally. There's, you know, uh, I give hockey players so much credit because we need a little bit of everything. We need that strength. We need speed. We need endurance. Um, but you also obviously need that balance because you're skating on a quarter of an inch blade on ice, which when you think about it in that term, you would think you're crazy to be doing it. But, um, you know, to us, it's, it's just natural and normal and it's our lifestyle and, um, we enjoy it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I'd love to try skating again. I was thinking about this before we recorded. I haven't done it since probably like, I don't know, grade school, right? When you have those like ice rink parties. So I got to try it again. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Now, you know, Minnesota and the Midwest in general, very popular part of the country for the sport of hockey. And, you know, in my case in Jersey, like there are not women's teams at the high school level. It's it's just like if girls want to play, they have to join the guys' team. So within your part of the country, it's really cool to hear that there are women's teams. Yeah, it's um, it's so special. There's something to be said, and I don't know if you um, if you guys out east ever ever really look up the Minnesota State High School tournament. Um, but that is just the epitome of, of Minnesota hockey. Like, like we say, we're the state of hockey, and um, people take so much pride in that high school level because, as we mentioned before, you start playing when you're six years old. Um, and so it's so cool because by the time you're in high school, you've been playing with the same people for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So no longer are they just your teammates but their family. And when you get to high school and you're playing some of the best hockey that you have in your entire life. And then also to add on to that, you're playing at the XL energy center where the Minnesota wild play. It's just such a cool and special moment because you're under those big, big bright lights um, in front of a crowd that could be as big as over 10,000 people um, that are cheering. And um, it's just so much fun to have everything come together in that moment because you can really feel um, the love and bonds that all these people have for the, for the game of hockey. Um, and it's really cool and special for those players that have the opportunity to make it there um, to be a part of that. Yeah, that does sound like an amazing experience. And also, like, you know, in high school, there's a very small percent that go on to play in college. So it's pretty cool to have that, you know, under the lights experience, all those fans, like for the kids that are never going to get that again. Exactly. Yeah. You know, for those seniors that know that those are their last few games ever playing hockey, it's so fun. And, and even like you said, for that, that one or 2% that do end up going to play college or maybe beyond, it's still so fun for them because obviously they're the top guns on their team that, you know, a lot of pressure is riding on them to perform and help, help their team get that W. So um, just in every single aspect from, your, all your friends from high school in a big cheering section, right? Like mm-hmm. up an entire row um, to playing with your best friends, to having um, getting to say hi to your mom and dad because you're on TV. Um, <laughs> it's just all these little things that are super fun. And um, for me, I got to go to state two times um, my freshman year of high school and my senior year. Um, and both, both of them, those experiences are moments that I'll never forget. And honestly, 
it's memories outside of the games even, um, just being in the hotel with my teammates um, that were so much fun and our memories that'll last a lifetime. Yeah, wow. Yeah, high school sports, that's where it's at, all the fun. Yeah. Yep. Did, you, did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, so I, I mean, my parents basically tried to put me in every activity that they could think of because I wouldn't sit still. Um, so I played soccer, um, I golfed, um, played lacrosse. Um, my grandma, they actually own a horse barn, um, a little further south in Southern Minnesota. Um, so I used to ride horses growing up as well. Um, played, played, played football, like any, any sport that you could think of, um, you know, I had tried it and, and done it, but you know, as, as I got older, um, you know, I really narrowed down to hockey just being the thing um, that I loved. And anytime I was on the ice, it just felt like that was home um, mm-hmm. and that I was doing what, what I was created to do. Like, that was my purpose. So, you know, over time, um, I really settled in and, and just focused on hockey so I, I could train and accomplish all the goals that I, I had put um, for myself in the future. Nice. And anyone who's serious about hockey, you know, you basically have to play club hockey. That's where it's at. So can you talk about your experience with it? And I'm sure you traveled a lot for it. Yeah. So, um, well, that's the interesting thing is that you're right that a lot of players have to play club hockey. But um, for us Minnesotans and the number of of players that we have in the state, um, I actually didn't really have to play that much um, club hockey. I played for my city, um, my youth program, any Dinah, um, all the way up until high school. Um, and then obviously in high school, then I played for Edina high school. So that was my winter season. And then, um, like what you got, like what other states would call club, um, I called that like my summer hockey team. So then also on top of playing for Edina, um, I played for the junior white caps the junior Minnesota Whitecaps in the summer. And that's where I got to meet um, players from other cities around the state. Um, and we became super close because, you know, players from Edina are phenomenal. Um, but what's really fun about the summer is you're, you're playing with the very top elite athletes. So um, I had a ton of fun playing for the junior Whitecaps. And ironically, a lot of them ended up being my teammates at the U as well. So <laughs> Awesome. Um, some of my best friends, you know, being Sydney Baldwin and Nicole Shamel, I've played with those girls um, since I was eight years old, um, which is super cool to think that we've known each other since we were that young and then, you know, got to play at the Division One level together. So it was super cool and special. Absolutely. You also had this amazing opportunity to play for the U.S. under-18 team both in 2012 and 2013. Tell me all about that. Yeah, so um, that was that was an incredible experience. As you mentioned earlier, uh, my grand my grandpa was the coach for the Olympic team um, way back in the day, and so it was always a goal of mine um, to at some point in my hockey career um, be able to represent my country and wear the red, white, and blue. And so, like you mentioned, my junior and senior year of high school, um, I had the opportunity to play for the under eighteen team and. Um, the trial process for that is super long. It kind of goes um, throughout all the spring and summer, and they just slowly, um, they start with your state, and then they wind it down to 
picking the top players from the state, and then you go to a national camp where you then compete with people from um, New York, Massachusetts, Illinois, Chicago, California, Colorado. Um, we had some from Texas. Like, just, just players from across the state, we all come together for this camp, um, and that's where um, USA Hockey will then evaluate us um, to pick um, an under-18 team to go um, and, you know, play a series against Canada, which I was able to do that my junior year, and then um, my my senior year go and play in the in the double IHF World Tournament, which was held in Budapest, Hungary. So Ooh. that was a super special and cool experience. Um, super fun to travel to um, across the country, uh, across the globe, I should say, um, and play in in Budapest. And we ended up doing super well in that tournament. Um, we made it to the gold medal game, um, but unfortunately, we lost to Canada that year. Um, but overall. Just an unbelievable experience, you know, to be a 16- and 17-year-old girl, um, having that opportunity to represent my country, um, but more importantly, just meet people from across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, those girls were so much fun, and I still keep in touch with them today. We were super close. Um, so just the coolest experience to go through and, and something that obviously very few people are able to achieve. So I just feel super fortunate to have had that opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, you talked about the tryout process and, you know, the, the kids that they were selecting came from all over. Show us how good of a player you were to make that team. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, we put, I can't even think about how many hours of work just focusing in on all these little skills that it takes to, to be a top-level hockey player. So at the end of the day, I did it because I absolutely loved it. Um, and so it, it was just really cool to, to be rewarded and recognized for that. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. Now, Canada and U.S. have this like bitter rivalry in women's hockey. So it sucks that you had to lose to them. But I'm sure you know this since I know this. You know way more about hockey than I do. But I find it so funny that there is I think there's even two couples that are married. One played in the U.S. and one played in Canada. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because the game of women's hockey is a really small sport. You know, not a lot of players are, uh, there's not a ton. So we always say that the hockey community is super small. Um, and so I know to people that aren't as familiar with the sport, um, they might be like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's so crazy or ironic. But you know, at the end of the day, women's hockey is, is so small and, and we take pride in our game and helping grow it. And so you really do, like I mentioned, you know, you develop relationships with people from across the country and in that scenario um, in a different country, but it's all because we end up training together, um, communicating together in some way, shape, or form. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's crazy how, you know, some of those relationships unfold and um, funny that they're just these two rival teams, but at the end of the day, we're all more than just hockey players, so... Um, pretty cool how that one turned out. Oh, a thousand percent. You talked about your high school career a bit, but you had an outstanding career at Edina High School. Did I get it? Yep, yes. that's right. All right. <laughs> your four-time all-conference, three-time all-state. You were the Star Metro Player of the Year in 2015 and also the 2015 Minnesota Miss Hockey recipient, which has to be such an honor to win that award, talking about how much Minnesota is a hockey state. Yeah, that 
Um, that was a huge honor. Um, you, I mean, even just in our conversation talking about high school hockey, I'm sure you can tell there's just so much pride and love for that sport in the state. Um, and so to be given the Miss Hockey Award in 2015, it was, it was an unbelievably humbling um, experience because now my name gets to be beside gold medalist, mm-hmm. um, you know, Patty Kazmaier winner, um, players that have gone on to become coaches like Bethany Browsen um, and Winnie Broat, who's honestly just been the pioneer for women's hockey in Minnesota. Um, so to have my name amongst this incredible list of players and you know, obviously there will continue to be even more um, amazing elite athletes in the years to come um, was super cool. And um, just like you said, my high school uh, career, I was fortunate to um, achieve the things that I did. But at the end of the day, I give all the credit to my teammates because it's a team sport mm-hmm. and I couldn't have done it without them. They are some of the most amazing people and I just couldn't be more thankful for the hilarious moments in the locker room, um, all the late night runs to McDonald's, you know, just all those funny things that are behind the scenes that don't even happen on the ice. Um, Those are the things I remember most about high school. So it's it's super fun. um, Yeah. No, I that. That's awesome. That it sounds like you're probably even still friends with them today. And you're right. Like what you remember more in those times are the friendships rather than, you know, how many goals you scored versus the rival high school in a game one January. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, as a as a competitor and as an athlete, you obviously love to win. Um, but like you said, it's it's all those other little moments that you remember forever for sure. Yeah, definitely. You also played lacrosse in high school. How was your game? Did you score more goals in lacrosse or in hockey? <laughs> no, no, no. I did not score as many goals in lacrosse and hockey. I um, The funny story behind that is I had never played lacrosse. I obviously would, like, throw, throw the ball around uh, for fun with my friends in the backyard. But I actually just randomly decided to play my freshman year um, just because I wanted to do something in the spring with all my friends. And um, I tried out for the team thinking I would just make the freshman team with them, but ironically ended up making varsity. Um, and it was super fun uh, to be able to incorporate because I was a soccer player as well. So lacrosse was like literally the perfect blend between soccer and hockey. Uh, so it was pretty easy to transition into. But no, I did not score as many goals in lacrosse and hockey. I wish I did, but... <laughs> Um, I think I think my sport was definitely meant to just be on ice, not necessarily uh, on the turf. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And you were a sought-after recruit on ice. Can you talk about your recruiting process, if there even is one? Because, you know, we talked about it. Not, not only is your family tied to the Gophers, but your high school coach was also a former Gophers hockey player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Laura Kaminsky went there as well, but... Uh, my recruiting process, it started super early. So back in my day, it's a lot different now. There's actually NCAA rules uh, that limit when coaches can get in contact with players. So my recruiting actually started early, like when I was in like seventh and eighth grade. Um, and people just started to reach out and ask if I would fill out questionnaires, you know, what, what schools I was interested in. And as you can imagine, like any seventh and eighth grader, you haven't even thought about college because you haven't even thought about high school. No, exactly. <laughs> so, um, 
my parents, my family's amazing. I, I love them so much. And they really supported me the entire time, even though my whole family had gone to the U. Um, they never once persuaded me to be a golfer. Um, they just said, T, wherever you want to go, that is where we want you to be. Um, and so they actually encouraged me. They said, any school that really shows interest you, you obviously have to reply and communicate with them. And if they ask you to go on a visit, we're going to go. Because the more visits you go on, then you're going to know what is the perfect fit for you. Um, so, you know, starting, I started to go look at schools going into my freshman year. Um, and then obviously throughout my ninth and 10th grade year, I had been able to go see schools all over the Midwest. Um, and then in particular, obviously, um, all the amazing schools out east, it was really easy to go and see all of them because they're a lot closer than um, the hockey schools available in the Midwest. So um, in total, I mean, my the amount of schools that I had talked to had to have been in the 20s. Wow. Um, and that, like, I, again, just feel super blessed and fortunate to have had that opportunity to talk with so many incredible coaches um, and see these beautiful schools. But um, by the time it was like the fall of my sophomore year, um, I had narrowed this huge list down to about three schools. Um, and then at one point it, it came down to um, Wisconsin and, and the U. And um, I went, uh, the Wisconsin had asked me to go um, have a visit with them in the fall. And I absolutely fell in love with um Madison, just like Madison and the campus. It's so beautiful if you've ever gone. Um, and, you know, after leaving there and driving home, um, I was so torn. I, I just had no idea if I, like, if I should choose the U or Wisconsin. And again, those are two rival schools. Mm -hmm. um, but my dad said, and I had tears in my eyes, I just, I was stressed about it. And he said, T, it's all going to make sense in one moment. Like you're just going to know when you know, you know, and he goes, ironically, Wisconsin's coming to play the U at Ritter next weekend. And he goes, so we're going to go, we'll go watch the game and we're just going to sit in the stands and, and just observe and then see who you end up kind of naturally rooting for. So we ended up going, I think it was a Saturday, Sunday series. So we went to the Sunday game and um, the U jumped on Wisconsin early and got like three goals in the first period. Um, and I could just feel myself um, just chanting the rouser and, and, and clapping when they would score. And I just, <laughs> I saw myself just being attracted to the maroon and gold. Um, and so it was kind of after that game and that moment that I said, yeah, you know, I've, I remember sitting in these stands when I was six with my grandpa when he took me to a game um, and I remember it being a dream of mine to be, be a, playing for this team. And the fact that I've been offered a scholarship to play here, I can't pass it up. And so um, that next day, um, I woke up to go to school. Um, and as I was walking out the door, I told my mom that I'd be committing that day. And then the rest is history. So it's pretty, pretty cool experience. Yeah, wow, that's an amazing recruiting story. And I love that your family, you know, didn't have blinders on and didn't kind of just push you towards the you. They wanted you to make your best decision. They were looking out for your best interest, not theirs. Yeah, it, it, they, they're so special and truly my, have always been my number one biggest fans. I honestly, I give 
the most credit to my little brother. He he's always there um, to support me no matter what, and even in my coaching career. Um, so I just I, I love Hunter, and um, it's always really special and to be able to look in the stands and see my mom, my dad, and my little brother. Um, they're supporting me through it all. So super cool. Yeah, that's great. They have such a good relationship with your brother. Yeah. Now you get to Minnesota in the fall of 2015 and tell me if I'm wrong, but the women's hockey team had won the title coming. Like they came off the 2015 national title game, right? Yes, that's correct. So we were defending national champions. Did you go to the game? Um, that, yes, I was able to go. Um, they had played Harvard. Um, it was at Ritter. So it was super fun to see that and know that I was, um, coming on to a team that was the defending national champs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, women's hockey isn't played at every university. You know, there's actually only five conferences in Division One women's hockey. So your conference I, is not really called the Big Ten, like how other Minnesota, Minnesota sports are in the Big Ten. It's the Western Collegiate Hockey Association, which only has seven teams, a lot, a lot of teams in Minnesota, Ohio State, and rival Wisconsin. Yeah, that's correct. So the, the WCHA is... Um... Yeah, like you said, it, it covers a wide variety of states, but um, by, as like a very biased person who, who played in the league, it is so dominant. Um, there are so many good players and incredible teams in that league, so it's super fun to um, be able to compete against those seven teams, and then we obviously um, have opportunities when it's a normal year, not COVID, um, to be able to go out east and then play those teams that are in those other conferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. Yeah, I mean the the season's pretty long. You guys, you know, if you go the whole way, you play thirty nine or forty games. Yeah, it's it's a long year. So we start right away in September when school starts, and and we end in March. So we have actually between us and I believe wrestling, we have the longest season out of all collegiate sports. Wow. That is long. I, I mean, you guys are in amazing shape, obviously, but I feel like my body would just, like, break down at some point. <laughs> you know what? We do get tired. We get a nice break in the middle around Christmas, okay. and we definitely take advantage of that. So. Yes, yeah, you should. Now, you're able to play right away as a freshman in 2016, which is impressive because as we just talked about it, you're, you, they just won the national title, and you're coming in as a freshman. You actually scored three game-winning goals that year. Yeah, um, it was quite a whirlwind being uh, jumping from high school to college because when you when you go and you play for the University of Minnesota, you're not just going from a high school team to a college team. You're going to a team that has Olympians mm-hmm. and All-Americans on it. <laughs> so, like you said, it's, it's the top players in the world that are on this team. And so it was super... Um, special to be able to play right off the bat and I just tried to be a sponge and and learn as much as I could because there was so much to um gain and figure out the change of pace and and how I really fit within our team but the leaders that we had the seniors that year um were phenomenal and our coaches are just the best coaches in all of college hockey and I'm talking men and women um and we're able to just along the way get our team gelling together so that when it came to um, playoff time, we were playing our best hockey and um, ended up obviously taking that national championship home. But my freshman year, 
like like you had said, it it started off incredible, and um, to be able to win the national title um, is something that I'll never forget. And um, we still talk about it to this day, just all the memories that we have from that year. And um, it was an incredible start to college, and um, just just grateful. And it's why you you go to the U. Um, you know, you wanna. Um, have a really good experience, but obviously as, as competitors, we want to win. So um, just fun to be rewarded from all the hard work and hours that we put in together. Absolutely. And you're right. Not a bad freshman year at all. Can you talk a bit more about that Frozen Four experience? Because, I mean, not only do you win the national championship, but the semifinal game, you guys won in a thriller, 3-2 in an overtime game over rival Wisconsin. And then you do end up winning the title against Boston College 3-1. to But that has to be one of your top weekends ever. Yeah. So we we went out. Um, we're in your neck of the woods. So we went out east to nice. uh, the the tournament. The Frozen Four was in New Hampshire that year. Um, so us Minnesotans, because we obviously have a lot of Midwestern on the team, so we love when we get to go out east. It was a change of pace for us. So mm-hmm. super fun to be able to fly out there um, and play and play at the UNH rink. Um, but yeah, that, so we had Wisconsin in that semifinal, like you mentioned, and we had played each other a bunch throughout the year. Um, and we were going into that game just split evenly with the games won and lost between one another. So we knew it was going to be a really good matchup. Um, their goalie um, at the time, um, Ann Renee Davian, she was just on fire. She had like a, a shutout streak of I don't know how many games. And so we knew as a team we had to jump and get on her early. Um, and as a freshman, you kind of are just following the lead of your leaders Um, because playoff hockey is so much different, um, but they were just so confident and composed in our our team and what we could do. Um, And so naturally that's how I felt as well. Um, And so in one of my first shifts in that game, um, I ended up actually scoring um, to get us on the board early. And I think looking back at that moment, I honestly, I can barely remember it. Um, because it was just so exciting to, to get on the board there and, and help get the team gelling. So um, that game was crazy and super fun. And my roommate um, at the time, Sarah Potomac, she ended up scoring that unbelievable OT winner where she picks the, uh, their D's pocket and then goes into score to send us to um, the championship game. But overall, what I'll say about just Minnesota and Wisconsin, that rivalry we have, is if you, whether or not you're a hockey fan, those are the games you want to watch because um, between the two teams, they bring out the best in each other, and it's so competitive, and um, you just see the game of hockey being um, played at its purest form um, between the two teams. So it's why we both go to those programs, and you know in that moment uh, for us to to beat our rival and, and go to the national championship, and not only make it to that game, but have the chance to knock off Boston College, who was undefeated at the time, um, was super exciting because we knew once we got past Wisconsin, we were so confident in ourselves and what we could do that once we got to there, that if we could perform and, and execute our game plan that we were going to take that trophy back to Dinky Town. So it was super fun. <laughs> yeah, and that you did. And actually, I had uh, Boston College star Kenzie Kent on the podcast before. 
Oh, I love Ken. So Ken and I, we played on the U18 team together. Nice, so I nice. I know her super well, yeah. Yeah, wow, she's, awesome. she's got an incredible story. I mean, she played lacrosse as well, just amazing Boston College athlete. Yeah, she, she is incredible. She was a phenomenal hockey player, too. I tap my hat to her for being able to be a dual sport athlete. For sure. You're talking about scoring in the, in the Frozen Four against Wisconsin. I mean, that's going to be crazy, right? You're, you're growing up, you know, you're on the lake or, you know, in your, in your driveway, shooting the ball or shooting the puck, I should say. I'm so used to basketball. Shooting the puck into the goal, probably like thinking like, all right, this is for the Frozen Four, right? You're visualizing it. Then years later, it actually happens. Not many people can like say that what they visualize doing as a kid actually comes true as an adult or as a young adult. Yeah. Yeah, you're spot on about that. It really was uh, it's a cherry on top of all the all the hard work and hours we all put in. Absolutely. Sophomore year, 2017, you win a lot of scholar awards, and you will continue to do that your junior and senior year as well. So you take the student part of being a student athlete very seriously. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I really do. I believe that as an athlete, um, you need to be dedicated and determined in all facets of your life because how you live, like your lifestyle, it it portrays in the way that you play your sport. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a hockey player, basketball player, football player. um, It's most important to be a good person Mm -hmm. um, and to work hard at everything you do. And so, yeah, I I took a lot of pride in in my academics. Um, I ended up graduating with a double major at the U just because we took, we took classes in the summer because we were training anyway. So, um, I was fortunate enough to have two degrees out of the U um, after my four years. But, yeah, sophomore year, it was uh, it was awesome because I was entering the year. Obviously, we had won the national championship. Um, and I also had just in that uh, in the month of August came home from Calgary because I was fortunate enough to play on the U-22 national team for just a short series against Canada. Um, and so again, to be able to just, um, play with the top girls in the country and get tuned up for college for my next season for my sophomore year at the U was super, um, fun and exciting. Um, and again, I just, I love being able to travel and see new places. So that was super fun, but I was really looking forward to my sophomore year and, um, and being able to again, defend that national title and bring it home. Um, so yeah. Yeah, you guys got close. You make it to the, the Frozen Four again, but end up losing in the semifinal to Clarkson. Yep, and, and Clarkson ends up uh, taking taking the national title home that year. And it was super, super devastating. But I, now as a coach, um, and looking back at that moment, you realize that it's honestly in those moments when, when you have a loss that you learn the most and you're able to grow. Um, and as tough as, as that moment was, um, I felt like as a sophomore, um, a player that would be coming back, I was able to gain a lot of perspective um, and become a better leader um, in the long run from losing in the Frozen Four that year. Yeah, no, you, you do learn a lot more from a loss. What's that saying? There's no losses, just lessons? Yeah, yep, that's a good saying. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Towards the end of your sophomore year in 2017, this is where things start to change for you. Can you talk about the symptoms that you were going through leading up to having to have emergency brain surgery? Yeah. Um, 
So I started to experience um, the symptom I had was slurred speech. Um, and so I describe it to people. Um, imagine putting a big spoonful of peanut butter in your mouth and then trying to talk. Ooh. That's how it was for me, both the difficulty of, of speaking, um, but also the ability to enunciate words. And it started actually while I was still playing my sophomore year. It started around playoff time. Wow. Um, but as you, as you mentioned, I took a lot of pride in my sport and in my academics and in my social life. And so in my head, I was like, okay, it's towards the end of the season. Like, you know, school has been really challenging and, and I'm exhausted from this long season. And so I'm like, in my head, I'm like, it's just stress. So I'm not going to worry about it because the slurred speech really only happened at night and it would be for about 10 or 15 minutes and then it would go away. So I would always just go into my room um, in my apartment and just lay down for a little bit. But after about four to six weeks, so now the season had been done, um, a few of my teammates and I, we went to Arizona um, for spring break. And it was on, on spring break when I said, all right, I'm on vacation. I'm relaxing. And so I shouldn't have this slurred speech happen. And if it does, that'll be my sign that I need to tell my parents about what's going on and, and you know, figure out a game plan of what's happening. So unfortunately the slurred speech occurred on vacation. And so I told my parents about it and my mom just said, okay, call me the next time it happens so I can like hear it or whatever. So the next night it occurs again. And in our minds, you know, I'm a, I'm a healthy, I'm a D1 athlete. Never in a million years would we think that this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So in our mind, we're like, it's just like a food allergy. I'm yeah. having a reaction to something. Um, so I end up going to one of my teammates' um, parents, who was a doctor. Um, we went and I got a checkup, and she actually said, after a bunch of neurological tests and all these things, she said, Taylor, have you ever had an, an MRI, a scan of your brain before? Gotten an MRI of your, of your brain? I said, no, I actually haven't, um, which is kind of surprising when I think back because I have also experienced a bunch of concussions in, in my playing career. And so it was pretty unique that I hadn't, but she's like, all right, so we'll go get, uh, we'll go have you get a quick scan and then I'll be back in soon to tell you what we see on it. Um, and it ended up being about like an hour until she came back in the room, which we thought was pretty weird, but it's a long time. She, she ends up, so she, uh, my mom and I are sitting in, in this, uh, in this room and, she ends up coming back in and I knew right away that something like just wasn't right. Um, just because I have known this, um, doctor for years and you could just tell that she was off. Um, and right away she pulls up this scan of my brain and you see this big white thing. It was white because of just like the MRI scan, but it was like the size of an avocado um, sitting on the right side of my brain. And, um, my doctor said, so Taylor, this is what we found, um, in your scan. Um, and what it's called, it's, it's an arachnoid stick. So what that means is it's essentially, a, a stack full of cerebral fluid that over my lifetime. So people are born, born with this. Um, it's just grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's so big right now to the point that it's hindering your speech. Wow. And um, there, 
if you actually look it up, there's been players, um, a player a year ago, um, he played for Edmonton. Um, he actually passed away from something super similar to this. So um, it's crazy how God just protected me through that because I was at high risk of having a seizure. You know, I was driving my car everywhere. I was working out. Like, there are so many moments where really bad things could have happened, but I had made it to this point. The doctors had found the problem, and the reason it took so long for um, my doctor to come in is because she had already made a game plan of exactly what I needed to do. Wow. Um, she, had call, she had called up the best surgeon in the Twin Cities um, to make time to have a consult with me, and so we literally went from one hospital across the cities to a di- this, neuro, um, this neurosurgeon who met with me right away, um, told us exactly what he was going to do in this procedure. And then in, literally in less than 12 hours, like you had mentioned, I was being operated on um, and having that emergency brain surgery. Um, and so it was the craziest experience. Ironically, um, it was on April 5th. So I hit my four-year mark just a few days ago. Wow. Um, congratulations. I and mean, I don't know if that's, a, I mean, yeah, I guess it is a congratulations because you lived yeah. through this. You were, we're going to talk about it. You were covered and yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was a crazy moment. Um, a life changing moment, um, gave me a lot of perspective. That's for sure. Because I mean, as you can hear just, just from the way I talk about the game of hockey, um, I'm super passionate about it, but before that had happened, hockey was like my life. It was everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having this occur, it made me realize that hockey is what I do, but it's not who I am. And it really helped give me a better perspective. And in my opinion, um, ended up making, helping me become a better person and better player in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I make it through, I made it through brain surgery. Um, it obviously took a long time to recover from that. Um, but my eyes were set on being able to, so that we had brain, I had brain surgery then in the spring of my sophomore year. Um, and so in my eyes, I was determined to be able to, um, play my junior year. That was enough time to recover. Um, and so I did what I had to do to, to get back into playing shape. Um, but you know, as, as you probably saw in my story, um, things kind of took a turn, a weird turn in the summer. Um, and I started to experience symptoms all over again. Wow. And it was super confusing. Um, we weren't really sure why. So we went back to the doctor and I asked, I said, am I, am I training too hard too soon? Like, am I, am I pushing myself too hard? Cause that's a normal tendency for any elite athlete to, you know, we were able to kind of break that barrier of pain, um, to train, um, and, and be the best we can be. And the doctor said, no, he says, you know, they took another MRI. He said, your brain looks pristine. It looks better than we could have even imagined. Um, so he's like, it's not your training. He said, just give it some more time. Maybe it'll go away. Wow. So, you know, we, I left, feeling good that my brain looked good, but I was also frustrated. I'm I'm like, what is this unknown that's happening? Um, You know, I'm training, I'm working hard, but I don't feel like the same hockey player that I was. 
because um, not only was I experiencing slurred speech, but I had I was experiencing this weird muscle weakness, um, like so weak to the point that I couldn't even put my hair up in a ponytail because I couldn't get my arms to go above my head. Um, and, you know, when I was lifting and, and doing stuff with my legs, my legs were super weak um, and would get burnt out quickly. Um, and then it was even stuff like being able to smile or show emotion, like my facial muscles weren't working right. And so it was this super terrifying thing that I basically lived from the month of August to October. So that would be my junior year, my October, my junior year. I just felt like my body was slowly breaking down by this unknown thing that no doctor had an explanation for. Um, and I'm doing, and I'm living this all, all while, while trying to play for the best team in the country. <laughs> yeah, you're um, <laughs> literally playing a Division One sport at the highest level. Jeez. Yeah. Um, if you if you ever were to talk to my coach Brad Frost, he would tell you that you would look at our team practice and you would see number seven, and you would think, why the heck is she out here? You know, like she she doesn't belong. Like my body just I could not perform the way that I have been in the past. And obviously as an elite athlete, as someone that, you know, seeks to be the best of the best, this was super frustrating and hard for me because my 120% couldn't even match up to my teammates 60%. Mm-hmm. So on the ice, like I mentioned, like those, those things about, about eating and talking and, and smiling off the ice, I couldn't pass a puck. I couldn't lift a puck. I could barely skate. Um, I couldn't keep up. I would get winded and exhausted so quickly. And so playing the sport that I love that made me feel the most alive all of a sudden became the most frustrating thing that I never even wanted to do because just something wasn't clicking. Um, and that all kind of came into fruition then um, in the first game of my junior year. Um, we were playing Merrimack College at Ritter Arena. And I remember waking up that day and just thinking, oh, no, like, this is not a good day. Um, I couldn't even sit up. I had to, like, log roll out of bed. Um, I could barely talk that day. Like I mentioned, like, like having that spoonful of peanut butter in my mouth. I couldn't, I couldn't speak at all. Um, I remember trying to get ready for pregame skate before it, we always had that in the morning before a game and I couldn't even tie my skate. Oh my God. Like, and so in my head, I'm like, all right, it's okay to like, just keep going. Like, just do your best. Like it's going to get better. Do the, get through this drill. The next one's going to be better. And then after, you know, 45 minutes of, of running through stuff, I get off. I said, okay, you just got your pregame skate in. It's fine. Go upstairs, go try to eat your pregame meal, and then things will get better. I remember I couldn't even eat my meal. I couldn't, I, that, like, the, the muscle movement of chewing and swallowing, like, I couldn't do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to go home and take a nap. Then things will get better. But everything, it just, it never got better. Um, and in the first period of the game, I was experiencing all those symptoms that I've kind of just described at one time which has never happened to me before. I usually would always experience just like one or two. So that was like brain surgery up until that moment was the scariest moment of my life. But 
what I was experiencing in that moment on the ice at Ritter, I literally didn't think I was going to make it that night, like make it through the night. Um, And so they rushed me to the the emergency room on campus. Um, They did cats. Like at that point, they're running every test in the book to try to figure out what's happening to me. Um, And I remember laying in the hospital bed so helpless. Most helpless I've ever felt in my life. I couldn't speak. I could barely breathe. I've got 10 doctors surrounding me. Um, I could barely, I could see my mom sitting in the corner, um, you know, just so worried about, you know, what was happening. And all I could do was pray. And that is exactly what I did. I just prayed that night and just simply asked for an answer. Like what, what is this mystery that I've been living in these past few months? And God, can you, can you reveal that to these doctors to help me? And I remember it was at like 2 a.m. In the, in the ER, this doctor comes in, and for whatever reason, I'm able to talk to him. Like, my speech came back. And he says, Taylor, you know, like, I've been, I've been looking at your file, and I have this, like, weird hunch as to what you have. And at that point, my team doctor had been there, too. Um, and he says, I think you have this really rare neuromuscular disease called myasthenia gravis. And my team doctor goes, really? You think she has that? She's like, that's common in, in old men. Like, I don't think so. And I said, well, if you think I have it, then I want you to run the test. I'm like, let's rule everything out. And so the res- he was a resident at the time, so he's not even like a full-on doctor. Wow. He goes, and he, he, he goes, all right, I'll go talk to my attending and come back and, and let you know. And he comes back with the attending, and this Dr. Smith says, yeah, Taylor, you know, I don't, I don't think this is what you have, but if you want us to run the test, we'll do it. I said, yep, please, please run the test. And so anyways, I, they run it. I spend the rest of the night in the hospital. I'm, I'm released, you know, later in the day, that next day. Um, and just go, I, I go back to my house in Edina and, and try to just lay low and try to recover from this crazy experience I had. And then about a week later, I'm back in class. And I remember I, I stepped out into the hallway in Ford Hall, so one of the buildings on campus, um, because the doctor was calling me. And he said, hey, Taylor, this is Dr. Smith. Um, I just wanted to let you know we got your test results back from um, the lab, and we figured out what your problem is. He said it's a rare neuromuscular disease called myasthenia gravis. Um, he said usually we have to run a bunch more tests for this rare disease because it's like 0.002 of the population has it. But he goes, but it's so clear that this is the issue to every single symptom you've experienced. Um, and that moment in the hallway is what completely transformed my life. Um, because all those prayers that I had said that night, God had answered and had given me um, exactly the single thing that, that I was hoping and praying for. And so from that moment, they, they put me on medication. They set me up with a neurologist and I wasn't even thinking about hockey at this point. I was just so happy because I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be able to live life again. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of relief. 
Yeah, so much relief because I had been living this mystery for almost half a year um, at that point. And so, you know, they put me on medication right away. And actually the first thing that I did after I took it was I went to the locker room or uh, went to our rink because my team was practicing at the time. I obviously wasn't able to um, be playing. Um, And I went and just was smiling and laughing with my teammates. They, they were like, Oh my gosh, T like, we're so happy to see you. And like, they're like, you look so good. And it was again, like, like we had talked about earlier, like your teammates become your family. And these girls are exact, like they're the people that got me through the super hard time of my life because they never once saw me as like the sick girl. Um, they just saw me as the T that they've always known and loved the T that loves to dance in the locker room and joke around and it was so fun to celebrate all these like little victories with them um, every single day, even when I wasn't playing. And so as time went on and these medications really started to kick in, um, you know, I started to get stronger and feel better again. And I remember asking my neurologist, I said, Dr. G, like, can I, is it possible to just go out and skate? I'm like, not even to play, but like, are you okay with me going out there and just like messing around with the puck and and whatnot? And he said, yeah, he goes, exercise is great. If you want to, um, you can, you can do that every single day. And so I would, I would go out onto Ritter, Ritter arena, um, after practice, after the team was done every single day and work on my game. And it was like teaching a brand new six year old how to skate again. Um, I had to learn how to lift the puck. I had to learn how to skate. I had to learn how to stick handle. And every single day I just retaught myself this game. Um, but it was so cool because I would get like 1% better each day. And so over time, those 1% added up. And I was playing at an elite level again. And so by that time, it was uh, around Christmas of my junior year. So I had missed the entire first half of my season. Um, and everyone had gone home. Like I said, we get this long break in the winter but this year instead of resting I went home and I said dad I'm gonna I'm gonna work as hard as I possibly can right now because when I we come back as a team like I want to play I think I can do it and so my dad we, we would go down to Walnut Ridge Park and skate outside every single day and I remember going and talking to Brad Frost and after my doctor's approval um and my team back's approval, I went and asked my coach. I said, coach, you give me another shot and let me play. And now being a coach, I can't even, I can't believe that Frosty um, said yes. But again, that just shows the man that he is um, and the trust and integrity that he has. And he said, yep. He goes, Pete, but you got to promise me right now that like you will be 100% honest with me at all times. And we had this mutual agreement against amongst each other. And that is what, you know, he allowed me to then skate. He goes, but see, I'm not giving you a spot. You have to earn it. You have to earn your way into the lineup. And so I agreed to it and I worked my absolute butt off and was able to start practicing with the team. And then a couple weekends in after the seat, like our second half started, um, we were playing Vermont at Ritter Arena. The University of Vermont actually, I think they beat us in our first game, our first series against them, 
which was a big upset. We should not have lost to that team that year. And I remember um, then Frosty giving me a call and saying, T, um, are you ready to dress tomorrow? And I said, of course I am. I'm super excited. I've been waiting for this moment. Thank you so much. He said, yeah, of course. He's like, I'm so proud of you. This has been so inspiring to see where you started and where and how far you've come. But he goes, but just don't expect to play. He's like, we just need we just need you and your and your leadership and your personality on the bench to help us win tomorrow. I said, absolutely. I just would do anything to wear this jersey. So I'm on the bench for the game, and we are just kicking butt that game. So in the third period, we're up six to one, and all of a sudden. Coach Frost says, all right, Willie, are you warm? Are you ready to go? Are you warmed up or can I put you in? <laughs> and it was like, like I'm smiling telling the story because I just was shocked. Like, you know, he had said, don't expect to play. So I wasn't. And in that moment, like, it was like a combination of like pure joy and excitement. But at the same time, I was like, just so shocked that like my legs felt like noodles. Like I was like, I can't believe that I'm about to go in. Like here I was like three months ago, like not thinking I was going to make it through the night. And now I have a second chance to play the game that has captured my heart. And I have such a passion for, um, and my dad, I remember like, so all of a sudden, like the whistle blows and like, he puts me on and like, I'm skating out for a face off in our D zone. And like I said, like I get out there and my legs are like shaking because I just like have so much emotion behind this. Um, and I was out there, like I mentioned the name, Nicole Shamel. Um, she's played with me since I was eight years old. Um, and she got to be out there with me for my first shift back. Um, and just having my, one of my best friends out there with me, the entire, my entire bunch was just screaming and cheering and and I'm pretty sure half of them were crying oh, right that's because an amazing they, feeling. They, they had just they had been through this with me and then you can hear like all of a sudden you can see the, like the fans in Ritter it's a very it's a big arena but it's also it feels very like personal and, and like they're almost on top of you mm-hmm. you can see that they recognize that I'm out there and so now it's not just the team cheering but it's the entire stadium standing up seeing number seven on the ice again Aww. um and that is just a moment I will never forget. Um, the second the game was over, I ripped my gear off, and the only thing I wanted to do was run up to the concourse and give my dad a hug. Um, and I just remember hugging him and crying, and and just, like, I had done the impossible. Like, I had overcome something that all the doctors, you know, anyone that had seen me at my lowest, like, never thought was possible and I had just done it um and it was it was so cool that that sophomore and then into my junior year that was uh quite a crazy ride yeah no definitely crazy and first of all I appreciate that you just gave that full detailed breakdown of it I'm sure it was you know parts were hard I'm sure because it's a very personal story really appreciate that I do have a few questions along the way though if you don't mind me asking absolutely okay so at the point where you got brain surgery, which I, I can't imagine how scary that was, you recovered, I mean, what you thought was fairly quickly, obviously you didn't know that the symptoms were going to come back. 
at that point, you you didn't have to like relearn how to play hockey, right? That came the second time around. Yeah, exactly. That was more the second time around. The first time, you know, it was I. It only took about three three months to be able to recover. So, you know, at that time, you don't lose anything. It's more just like you're recovering from from a, a, any other surgery. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, wow. And okay, so my next question might be might be a stupid question. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but now, okay. At the point where you had that like massive avocado in your brain, that was that was a part of MG still. They just no one knew it at the time, right? No. So the brain surgery and MG are disconnected. They're two oh di- completely different. Yeah. So wow. so we don't we don't we know I was born with that arachnoid cyst. So the the big avocado. Um, it wasn't obviously that big when I was little. It, it had grown over time. But then we have, we to this day and, you know, may never know when I got MG. Wow. Oh uh, my gosh. Because that's, that's a neuromuscular autoimmune disease. Um, and so, yeah, that, that could have happened at any point in, in my lifetime. Um, I, I believe, and this, it's funny, you can, you can hear my, like what I think and then also what my parents think are different. So I think that. I, I had MG obviously before the surgery, but that, um, the surgery kind of like flared it and like sparked it to like have sim- like show symptoms. Um, and my parents think that I was showing symptoms before, like, like when, when the, uh, arachnoid cyst was really bad, they think that that's when it was flared. So it's mm-hmm. funny to hear two different perspectives on it. And it's something that, that we'll never have an answer to. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, technically, that surgery did work. It just, you also had this other thing going on. Jeez. Yeah, the surgery was a huge success. Um, saved my life. And then, yeah, this was just another thing that happened to be going on as well. Okay, okay. Now, now MG is, it's a livable condition, but it's like there's no cure for it. So, day to day, you take medication and you're basically good to go at that point. I mean, not good to go. I'm sure things are hard, but you just take daily medication. Yeah, correct. So no cure, but I take medication every day. And then I also go to the hospital, um, like every six to eight weeks, um, to get like, a an infusion to help. It just goes directly into my bloodstream that also helps with my symptoms. So, um, at least it's, it's a disease that can be, um, managed. I know that there's, there's other people out there that, that suffer from MG that actually, um, there's not really a lot of treatments that, that can help them. And so, um, you know, my heart, my heart goes out to, to those individuals, um, because I know living with this is not easy. Um, but it, and it gives me perspective to know how blessed I am to actually have, um, a plan in place that, that does work and help me live a completely normal and active lifestyle. Um, that I want to live. So super grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now, I mean, God bless that resident, right? Because he's the one that realized what it was. Have you talked to him since everything went down? So, yeah. So my uh, my dad actually wrote him a letter um, after we found out because, you know, as you can, I'm not a doctor, but as you can imagine, these guys just keep working hard to to achieve, like, becoming um, just a full on independent, um, doctor on their own. And so 
my dad wrote him a letter just saying, you know, I want you to know what your, like, like the decision that you made, like literally saved my daughter's life. And like for that, we thank you. Um, there aren't enough words to say how grateful we are for you, but like, we just like, I don't know what he did with the letter. Um, but I, you know, there's no question in my mind that he is out there doing amazing things and saving more lives because I just, I can't thank him enough for, for being bold and, and stepping out and saying what he thought it was because nobody else would have thought that. So who knows how long it could have taken to come to this conclusion Mm -hmm. if he wouldn't have said anything. Yeah. And I mean, even the attending after he told or he or she, or he told him or her what it was, they were like, I don't think that's that, but sure, we can take a test. So, geez, I mean, I, I think you're right. Wherever he is, he is a great doctor helping others like you, for sure. Yeah. All right. Now, last question. So, okay, you miss about three months, which is pretty unbelievable that it was only three months. You know, you told the story. You basically had to, like, relearn how to play hockey did you ever, did you and your family ever consider maybe just redshirting that junior year, coming back for a senior year, and then maybe having a fifth year if you wanted to take it, rather than uh, jump back in in what, January, February, wherever it was? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, in the moment, I never once thought about redshirting because, like I mentioned, I didn't think I was ever going to play hockey again. Mm, Like I was doing those things because I purely loved it. um, And I was around my best friends. And then when I started to play really well, um, it still was a question mark. Like we, it just because I was doing well in that moment didn't mean that like when I woke up the next morning, that things would be good because this disease can just be nasty. Like I, I never know when I wake up what's going to happen that, that day. And so that's kind of why we, like, I, it wasn't like, I wasn't like, Oh yeah, I want to wait so I can get four full seasons. in. I just said, I want to play hockey. I want to play with this team with my best friends and help them, you know, help us get to the frozen four and win that national championship. And so when I came back that second half, I was ironically playing the best hockey I've ever been playing. And like I said, coach Ross had said, you need to earn your way back into the lineup. And like, as time went on, I, you know, started on that bottom line and and made my way back up and um, into those top lines and um, ended up scoring the game winning goal against Wisconsin um, in our conference tournament to punch a ticket to the national tournament. So that was honestly the cherry on top of that entire crazy junior year. Um, and so to answer your question, yeah, I never once thought about red shirting and so happy I didn't because that was just such a fun year in mm-hmm. such a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I read about how you scored a, a game winning goal against Wisconsin. I mean, it gave me goosebumps reading it. I, I mean, I, there should be a documentary on you, honestly, because this whole year is just incredible. I don't know how ESPN hasn't just grabbed your story and, and done it. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, it definitely was crazy. Um, but man, it, it was a heck of a ride and, completely changed the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. 
No, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, so, okay, junior year, you get back on the ice senior year in 2019, mm-hmm. impressive considering all you've been through. It, it's probably your best season. Oh yeah. No, without a doubt. It was, um, it was my best year in college. And I think it's solely because of the mindset that I had. Um, that was free hockey to me. It was, it was a year of hockey that I didn't think I'd ever have. And so I just, took things day by day, um, you know, never took a second that I was out there putting the M on my chest for granted um, and just played for, played hockey because I loved it. I was playing free, um, you know, using my story, um, the experience that I had gone through, um, I was using my platform at the U um, to share my story and reach out to people and that was so cool as well in my senior year, you know, getting these, these random messages on Facebook saying, you know, my, uh, my son was just diagnosed with MG and he's an athlete and like, we've read your story and like, just thank you. Like, thank you for sharing it. And you get, you get little tidbits like that, um, that just bring tears to your eyes. Cause you're like, okay, like this is God's purpose for my life. Like this is why he gave me a second chance to play so that not only can I, you know, have this joy in my heart because I love the game of hockey, but I can also help and impact and inspire others too. So it was a great year. Um, I loved my senior year. Um, and like you said, you know, it, it showed on the scoreboard as well. Um, but just overall, like when I look back at that year, um, I just loved soaking in every single moment on and off the ice because I knew that, you know, once I was done that year, I wouldn't continue to play. Um, I was ready to hang them up, give my body a break, um, and, and kind of move on to the next chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to give some stats, I mean, you had a career high 21 points. It was nine goals, 12 assists. You played in all 39 games, which has to mean a lot because the prior year you had missed 23. Yeah, it, it, um, it meant a ton. And, like you said, just uh, just to get that full season in and put the put that maroon and gold jersey on every single time was was super special and brought brought a ton of joy to my heart. Absolutely, Minnesota goes thirty two six and one, so another fantastic season. You guys get to the final four, get to the national championship. Unfortunately, lose that year to nothing to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yep, we. Uh, we had that heartbreaking loss in the, in the national championship. And I remember obviously being heartbroken, you know, you, you're so close to taking that title home, um, you know, but you lose to your rival. Um, and that was, and that was really hard, but you know, the following year, um, following years when COVID hit and that class below me being senior. So I've been with them for three years. All of a sudden they don't even have a chance to play in the national tournament. Um, and so it's funny. So it's like a year later, I look at that and I go, wow. Like, like, again, like, thank you, God. Like you gave me a full season. You gave me a chance to play in the national title game. And my heart just went to that class, that group of seniors who all they wanted to do is bring the national title home, but they had no choice. They had no option with the pandemic hitting. So Mm -hmm. it's all just so crazy when you, when you put it into perspective and think about it that way as well. Yeah, yeah, rather lose and have played in the championship game than the following year 
no one gets to play in the tournament at all. You work so hard for the tournament and just a bummer for those 2020 kids. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's obviously a bummer you couldn't end your career with a title. But after all you went through, it's pretty cool that you get to say you finished your career, which was a wild one, on the ice in the national championship. Exactly. We, played, we made it as far as any two teams could. Um, and so, like you said, it was just super cool to play the maximum amount of games that you possibly could have played. Mm-hmm. Now, after you graduate from Minnesota, you know, as you said, you hung up, you hung up the skates, but you stayed in hockey. You become the coach of, I'm probably going to butcher this, Wayzata High School? Wayzata, you were close. Wayzata okay, all right. You know, this, these Midwestern names, I, I, I can't get down with it. But, but anyway, <laughs> high school in Minnesota with your father, Dean. You guys are the coaches. Tell me about how that opportunity came up. Um, well, like I, like I mentioned to you, once hockey was done, I was ready to move on to a new chapter of my life. So I didn't even think about coaching. Um, it was my dad that kind of planted the seed. So he said, TV, there's these coaches positions opening up. Um, would you ever want to do it? And I looked at him and I'm like, are you crazy? (laughs) I'm, I'm 23 years old. There's no way I could coach a high school program. And he said, well, well, he goes, take that back. You absolutely could do it. And if it makes you feel better, I'll coach with you. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I would love nothing more than to be able to have the chance to coach with my best friend, my biggest role model and the best coach I've ever had. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, let's do it. And so, you know, all these, all these events happen and, and get us to Isetta. Um, and Coaching has been one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, I tell people I get the same joy and like love and passion from the game of hockey as I did as a player. Like I get that as a coach, but it's also in a a completely different way because here I am like sitting back and, and having to use my voice and to help these kids execute. And it is so cool to see, um, you know, them work together and figure it, figure it out as these young 15, 16 and 17 year old girls. Um, and I never would have thought that I like cared and loved these young women as much as I do. Um, it's, it's coaching it. Like I said, it's 100% a passion of mine and I'm so happy and grateful that I get to do that now and use you know, the experiences from my playing career, but also these life experiences and these health challenges, um, use that to help impact these girls and their lives, um, both on and off the ice. Yeah, you're a fantastic role model for them. What's the dynamic like, though, coaching with your dad? Do you guys ever fight about what play to run or anything like that? <laughs> no, we actually, we, we don't argue about that. The only thing that you could ever catch us arguing about would be in practice when we get to be a part of the game because we would always be on opposite teams and obviously we wanted our team to win. So the girls would see us two arguing and bickering and at first they were like, what the heck's going on? And, and now since they're so used to it and comfortable with us, they, they love it and they actually egg it on. They love to see which Williams is going to win that drill. So it's super, super fun. Oh, I love that. You've been the coach there for two years. How far has the team gone? 
Um, my, so my first year, um, we made it all the way to the section final, um, and we lost to Edina High School. So ironically, my Ooh. home, my hometown, my alma mater. Yep. Um, but man, that was that first year. That team was so special. It's a team I'm never gonna forget. The players um, were amazing, and it was so cool. This we grew so much that year. Um, and then the second season, um, again equally as proud of them in a completely different way because we made it through an entire season in the middle of a pandemic. Mm, Um, So it was a success in its own. Um, We made it to the section semifinals um, where we lost to um, a private school, Benilde St. Margaret. But I'm so honored um, to be the coach at YZ. And as much as I, you know, might teach these girls, um, they equally um, teach me and inspire me in, in ways as well. So it's been really fun to give back to the game of hockey, um, and coach because it's very challenging. It has its very challenging moments, but I love getting to do it next to my dad. Um, because it's, it's again, just why we love hockey and, and why Minnesota hockey is so special. Um, you know, you don't, you don't see that too often where you have a, father-daughter duo come back to coach um but we do it because we love it um and we just take a lot of pride in minnesota hockey yeah those are going to be memories you'll have with your dad forever for sure now you clearly like coaching could you see yourself in the future maybe taking it a step up getting to that next level coaching in in, in college or maybe even professionally yeah, that's a great question. You know, I um, I don't have the answer to that, to be honest. I, I really take things day by day, year by year. You're still um, young. So still young, still, you know, young in my career. I um, I work, I have a full-time job on top of coaching. I mm-hmm. uh, work for a traditional mortgage in Edina, Minnesota as a loan officer assistant, and I absolutely love my job there. So I'm still young in my career, um, but you know, whatever, whatever God's plan is for me, whatever his purpose is, I, I follow it. So I have no idea what's in the future. Um, so it'll, it'll be exciting to see how it all pans out. Absolutely. And how are you feeling these days? I know, you know, you do the infusion every six to eight weeks and you're obviously on medication. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Thank you. It's for great asking. to hear. I, I'm feeling good. Um, like I said, I, li- I get to live a healthy and super active lifestyle and do everything that, that I want to do. Um, and yeah, I just keep up with my medication every day, um, and go in and getting those treatments. So that's kind of, you know, it's a normal thing in my life now. I don't really have to think about it because mm-hmm. it's been, you know, about three years now. So very, very grateful to be feeling good. Um, and just hope to continue that in the future. Absolutely. I hope that for you too. Taylor, I have loved our conversation. I like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that sound? Oh, it sounds great. All right. First question. What TV show are you currently binge watching? Oh, well, I was watching um, Bridgerton on Netflix. That was my most recent one. That was super good. Okay. All right, cool. That is on my list. I still haven't gotten to it. I know I have to, but it's definitely on the list. Love it. I did hear that the uh, one of the stars of the first season is not returning for the second, though. People are up in arms about oh, that. I, 
Oh, I didn't hear that, but that's that that's definitely gonna make it interesting. Mm-hmm. And actually, have you watched the? Since you're a hockey girl, have you watched the uh, the Mighty Ducks TV show on Disney Plus? No, I that that's on my list. I gotta watch it. I'm super excited to see that. Okay, are you a big Mighty Ducks movie fan? Absolutely, those are a classic. I love the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's only, I, I feel like it's like the episodes are dropping every week. So I think you're only like an episode or two behind. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely have to flip that on and watch it. All right. Next question. If you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would it be? That's a great question. Um, you know, the person that, that sticks out right away um, is Michael Jordan. Mm, I think one. he is fascinating. I think he's fascinating as an athlete um, and as a competitor and as a leader. So I think it'd be so cool to sit there and listen to his stories and experiences and learn from him. That's a great one. I'm assuming you watched The Last Dance. I am. I've watched The Last Dance probably three times. I think it's so good. <laughs> All right. You're clearly a fan. I like that. Yeah. Big, big, bold fan. Ooh, not the Timberwolves, huh? No, I, you know, I, I take pride in my Minnesota sports teams, but I think the Bulls, I mean, especially just in particular, Michael Jordan's Bulls teams, the Bulls are fun to watch. Definitely. All right, I'll give it to you. So you're still a Vikings fan, Wilds fan, Twins fan? Of course, Gold Vikes. Yep, Wild, Twins, I love them all. All right, very nice. All right, Taylor, last question. Where is your next vacation destination? You know, we're getting the vaccine. Hopefully things will start to open up more. Where are you going? Well, in, in the United States, I've never been to Nashville. Would love to go to Nashville. I love my country music. Ooh, and that's I a good think, place for you then. Yeah, so I just want to experience Nashville. And then, you know, if I could go um, anywhere in the world, I would pick Croatia. I really want to go to Croatia. It looks pretty there. It looks beautiful, yeah. So that's on my list. All right, all right. Well, as a person who has been to Nashville, you should definitely get there. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you. Of course. Taylor, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast. Your story is crazy. It's inspiring. I loved hearing about it. And thank you so much for going into so much detail. I'm sure it was, as I said before, I'm sure it was a little bit hard. It's a very, very personal story, but you're an inspiration. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Taylor Williamson. Hope you enjoyed it. She went through a lot and had a great career at Minnesota. Great to see that hockey's still in her life and she's coaching with her dad. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.